Welcome to the Golden Shadow. My name is Aaron Rogerson. And I'm Melissa Politi. Today we're exploring the concept of ritual. And this is a big topic because it ties into a lot of the things we think about when we think about religion and spirituality and doing things like psychedelics and going to Burning Man or going camping or any kind of experience often that we view as being incredibly meaningful, something that we want to do again and again and again, or something that makes sense as a ceremony or celebration or a coming together in our lives that we want to do routinely. Um, And this concept is vague because when we try to define what a ritual is, Mm. it's hard. What what are all the things that rituals have in common? There's so many different kinds of rituals. Mm. Um, what does it mean to engage in a ritual activity? Uh, what's the point of it? What are we trying to accomplish when we try to ritualize something? Mm. Well, it's an interesting point you bring up because how do we define ritual? I think for some, they might jump to... Uh, Rituals of religion, um, like cultural rituals, things that feel sort of imbued with a lot of depth of meaning and symbolism, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of kind of everyday rituals or rituals that we take for granted, you know, like the celebration of a birthday every year in a very particular way, you know, like that's a, that's a ritual, Mm -hmm. um, the way that we wake up and get ourselves, uh, kind of ready for the day Mm -hmm. and, you know always sitting in this certain space in your living room with the sun coming in and drinking your hot tea and like feeling like if you didn't have that, you know, like your day's kind of off, like these, these everyday rituals that we have as well. Right. So what is a ritual? It, 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 there's a spectrum, this sort of scale of it, you might even say where we step into it in sometimes really conscious ways and other times maybe less conscious ways. Right. We use the word ritual to describe a lot of different things. Mm. And I think they all have something in common, but sometimes they seem sort of like disparate things where it's like yeah. those aren't related. Right. So like you said, sort of like the morning ritual. Yeah. It's like, is ritual the right word for that? Yeah. I think it is. But is it the same as erecting a Christmas tree mm. and putting presents underneath it yeah. and waking up on Christmas morning and opening presents? That's a ritual, but that's kind of different, right? Right. Or like the ritual of the first communion, mm-hmm. you know, it's like everyone's going to church and there's yeah. this big thing that's happening. It's like, that's pretty different than just getting up and having your coffee. Right. So going to church on Sundays definitely is a mm. very, you know, pervasive, well-known ritual that a lot of people who've grown up in the West probably have engaged in as mm-hmm. children or at least know someone who has. Um, and those things are traditional. They've, they've been around for a very long time. And so there's all these, uh, these rituals that we've inherited from the mm-hmm. past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and often we're not even sure why they exist. Mm-hmm. What's the point of this ritual? Why do we do this? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also different than, you know, say every Halloween you and your friends do drugs. And that's just sort of the ritual that you engage in. It's like this is our Halloween celebration. It's like we, we go into the woods and take LSD that's a ritual that we do. It's like, mm, is that the same as going to church on Sundays? And it's like, well, how are they related? Yeah. There's other things like ritual sacrifice that people mm. think of, like yeah. this sort of stereotype of like, you know, uh, killing an animal mm. to offer something to the gods yeah. or something like that. Uh, there's praying towards Mecca mm. five times a day. Um, 
there's Ash Wednesday. People have the mark on their foreheads and you see it. And there's all these questions of what are, what are these things? What's the mm. point? And we, we can feel it when we, when we engage in a ritual. There's something that's very meaningful often in a lot of rituals we do. Uh, it seems to kind of bring up something that mm, feels important or remind us of something or mm. reinforce something within us. Um, but there's other rituals that feel meaningless. Mm. And it's like, why are we, why are we celebrating Thanksgiving? Why? Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a five-year-old kid and I, I don't get it. I think it's stupid. It doesn't feel meaningful to me. I hate talking to all these adults. Um, I think Thanksgiving is stupid. It's a stupid ritual. And so that's another question too, is like, uh, when you have a ritual that means something, why does it mean something? When mm. you have a ritual that doesn't mean something, why does it not mean something? Yeah. Are there rituals that might feel meaningless but are important and you just don't understand why they're important? Uh, there's all these questions that come up with this concept. Well, you're you're bringing up a point that I feel uh, is maybe something to get into a little bit, which is like what is the difference between ritual and tradition? Because they're mm -hmm. very interwoven together, yeah. mm -hmm. but there's sort of a difference be between like there is like a tradition of this holiday, Thanksgiving as an example, like we're just about to go into that tomorrow as yeah. we're recording this. Mm -hmm. um, so there's this tradition that we have and it's um, based around these set of rituals, you might say, that have been passed down over time within this group, within a society. Yeah. And it holds all of this symbolic meaning. And so the tradition, I think, in some ways, like holds the... Uh, I don't know, the teachings itself. And then the mm. ritual is more of like the enactment of it. And they need to be in some ways uh, carried together. Mm -hmm. And when we lose, you know, the reasons behind the tradition, the ritual just seems like <laughs> totally meaningless. Right. So we're tapping into a few ideas here that I think rituals have in common maybe. And um, there's something having to do with meaning, Right. Mm -hmm. rituals provide access let's say to like a hidden world of meaning mm. often there's something that is engaged within us with certain rituals where we feel something yeah. or it seems like I said seems important mm. or reinforces or it, re it reminds you of something of something mm. that's important or mm. uh, the ritual of Thanksgiving maybe it reminds you of the importance of family yeah. and the importance of gathering around a table and sharing food mm. and that's something that maybe people don't actually engage in enough mm. anymore because we're so atomized in our lifestyles and mm. maybe the family doesn't get together very often and maybe my parents are across the country and I don't see them. Mm. And then you have this ritual of coming together for a feast and you're reminded, wow, this stuff's really important mm. and I had forgotten that. And yeah. so there's something that um, about that reminder or that reinforcement of a concept or an emotion mm. or an ethos, you might say, mm. that's part of what rituals can do i would say yeah well it's certainly and i think in a very powerful way getting us in touch with like the meaning making machine mm -hmm. in our psyche <laughs> like whatever that is yeah. within us where we uh find meaning in things mm -hmm. or we get connected to those sources yeah. ritual has this like fast track to that as an example, like I journal pretty often, like, you know, when I'm really in my groove, like I'm doing it daily, yeah. yet there's something particularly powerful when I make a ritual out of it, like one night a month, mm -hmm. I'm going to light some candles, yeah. I'm going to, you know, set the room up in a certain way, mm -hmm. I'm going to light 
sage. I'm going to, you know, have maybe a certain track playing. I'm, yeah. I'm creating a container and mm. what I do within that hour might feel more meaningful and more connective to me than when I just kind of like roll out of bed and might meditate a little bit and then do some journaling. It's just, there's something about ritualizing even a simple act that seems to imbue it with meaning and connect yeah. us to something deeper. It sort of uh, just shifts the psyche in this really interesting way. And mm. then we see that kind of compounded on itself when you have ritual being performed by many people who are coming yeah. together and they're and they're all sort of giving little pieces of, of meaning making into a, a collective shared sort of sphere of it. And I think that's why holidays can feel so powerful or mm -hmm. why religious rituals can feel so powerful or God, like any other <laughs> rituals that we do as a community or yeah. politically, socially, etc. It's, there's something, it's, it's like something is in the air when that mm -hmm. happens. Yeah. I feel like I have to acknowledge this noise that I think is pretty audible <laughs> in the recording right now, <laughs> which is our, uh, uh, our, our neighbors essentially are watering, uh, the plants outside. And, um, in case you're wondering if you hear that kind of like, <laughs> um, that's what's going on and we were aware of it. But, yes, we've uh, always got some sort of fun noise that we have to explain. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, <laughs> I guess maybe the last episode or two episodes ago, you could definitely the hear. Lawn, the lawnmower? Well, there was the lawnmower that, that, that was a while ago. Um, oh, and, the guitar playing? And there was a guitar playing uh, two episodes ago. Our, our roommate was playing guitar yeah. and uh, I think the riff that he was playing was actually pretty audible in the recording. Um, well, hopefully the audience enjoys it. What are we going to hear this week? They might ask themselves. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish it actually had to do with the the topic we were discussing. We could relate it You could just hear back. like this like ritual hymn in the background, like it's like if we're in a cathedral. It honestly would be really cool. That would probably very be pretty cheesy. I think you know, there would also be like a lot, of, a lot of questions about like how is is that just pre recorded and they're just injecting it into the podcast? Yeah, I guess that'd be or pretty cheesy. Or they actually in a church somehow? Um, but. I, I think there's room for this podcast to get cheesier and I mean, uh, that idea. Yeah. Um, anyways, back to what we were talking about. Anyways. Something, something that I think is important to, to bring up when we talk about ritual is this idea of the sacred, mm. right? Yeah. And sacred as a word, I think it's something that's become kind of trivialized and maybe even silly sounding. Hmm. Like the whole idea of something being sacred is something that people, I think, often laugh at. Mm. Of like, well, that's just superstition or like that's that's not necessary or or like we should protect this ritual because it's sacred you mean like that like that mm. but just the idea of things being sacred is yeah. something that i think we're not very in touch with mm. anymore and mm. maybe a lot of people actually are and especially i think a lot of people who are really in tune with some sort of religious lineage definitely yeah. have this Spiritual idea of the sacred practice. yeah but mm. the whole idea of rituals consecrate something perhaps mm. and what you're describing is, is a ritual that you have for yourself you're lighting candles maybe yeah. you're engaging in some sort of reflective process mm -hmm. um you're creating a sacred space yeah and yeah. Yeah. the question is what does that mean mm. what does it mean for something to be sacred and how can you make something sacred is that even possible mm. or are there just things that are sacred and things that are not mm. and that might be an entire another podcast episode but it's a it's a vague concept, just like ritual, but right. it's it's an important part of this, right? What do we it what is. do we mean by sacred? Right, right, yeah. There's like this sense of, um, sort of like venerating what we're doing, 
lifting yeah. it up, mm-hmm. um, kind of connection with God or a higher purpose or the the meaning making. Uh, we're imbuing something with a lot of depth, and I might even say sort of from a more like a psychological perspective that we're getting in touch with like an archetypal core, which holds a lot of that really sort of dynamic, um, sort of numinous, uh, sacred energy to it. Mm. And the, the, the archetypal framework, which we tap into can feel sort of worn out. I think at times when we lose sight of, uh, the real essence of it, you know, and we just see it as, the tradition or the the act without any meaning behind it. And I feel like archetypes just in general seem to really take us back to a lot of inherent meaning for us as individuals. Mm. And the enactment that ritual is allows us to almost like embody archetypal dynamics. And that has this like very beautiful sacred quality to it. Um, it's just very godlike, but it doesn't mm. have to be religious. So why do you think embodying this archetypal uh, framework mm. or something, why, why is that sacred, I well, guess, is the question. Sure. I think it's sacred because in the, in the deep psyche, that's, 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 oh my God, how do I even say this? Like, that's the essence almost, mm-hmm. you know, like, why does narrative really rule our life? Why is myth so meaningful? Why Mm. are metaphors kind of, why do they capture us? All of that kind of, to me, speaks to the archetypal framework of the Mm. psyche. And it it kind of gets us out of like the logical, rational brain and back to like a very true essence. This almost just like instinctive, deep quality. Mm. And uh, when we tap back into that, often through spiritual traditions or religious yeah. traditions or something that has that same kind of quality, it feels um, nurturing. Mm. It's like a balm to the soul, or at least it is to me. I, I guess I can't speak for everybody, but it mm. is to me. It feels like it fills me back up or it gets me back in touch, whatever that like quality of spirit is. And I think like archetypal cores, which to me speaks to just like the nature of the human spirit mm. is something that is is needed in our life and so we we need the sacred we need ritual you know we we need the archetypal flows within us and if we don't uh, if we don't find it intentionally we will look for it in other places and mm. act it out without even realizing that we're doing it so there's sort of like um, a reality mm. two things that are sacred like the essence of things. There's yeah. sort of like a sincerity mm. that I feel like you're describing and the the, uh, the archetypal world or the uh, sort of narrative relationship that we have with reality is um, it's very true. It feels real. Mm. It feels like something that is uh, like the reality behind the things we see. And in some sense, mm. like this like sacredness um, mm has to do with that a feeling of importance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like sacred to me implies something that needs to be protected. Yeah. Or something that you should not dismiss or discard uh very easily. Mm. Or something that is constantly being forgotten or falling apart that needs to be um maintained. Mm. And I think a lot of the rituals that we think of as traditional rituals 
are trying to accomplish that in some way. Yeah. Uh, this reinforcement, this reminder, or the, this revitalization of this important thing or concept or idea or ethos, this important thing that needs to be constantly revitalized. Mm. And the way to do that is to remind people of it. So getting together every Sunday, for instance, um, it's a ritual that attempts to get you to realign to the path, mm. the Christian path, let's say. And the rituals that you engage in, uh, they're reminders, like remember Christ, remember this way of being. This is something important. Don't throw this away. Don't forget about this. Don't discard this. And that's something that, um, again, I don't feel like we're very in touch with that whole idea a lot of the time nowadays, because I think we do dismiss things like that. We do dismiss things that are considered important by tradition often and say, well, why? What's the point? When in fact, a lot of these these things that have been considered considered sacred from the past are actually there for a reason. They're there to serve us as we um, navigate our lives. It's like remember this, right? But the tradition is in some ways failing because the symbolic meaning has been ripped from the the narrative. And in this case, like we're, if we're talking about like a religious narrative, mm-hmm. the symbolic meaning that special significance. Um, the origin points that this lineage is built upon Mm. has been stripped away for whatever reason, which Mm. might be like, you know, I don't feel connected to my religion anymore because like, you know, how could, you know, Jesus have risen from the dead? That's ridiculous. It's like, (laughs) we're maybe we're thinking about it too literally. Maybe the teachings have fallen short in some way. We're taking it too, um, too much for that surface value rather than as like, you know, principles to help us feel connected to strength and culture to, believe in a shared narrative and myth, you know, Mm -hmm. instead it's become hollow in some way. And that symbolic depth, uh, that ritual helps us continue to like add the logs onto the fire. You know, that, that symbolic fire that's burning is slowly just going out and going out. And then the tradition falters and Mm -hmm. we lose sight of what the tradition is. And I don't know, to me, that seems like part of it is that we, we've lost touch with what symbol really means to us or the importance of symbols in our lives, even though we're looking for it in other places right. or, or we're finding it in other places. Or we've just actually lost the symbols themselves. Yeah. Like they're just absent. Yeah. I mean, if you think about like your daily life, it's like how often do you, uh, I mean, well, you are like a young yeah, man. you don't like, ask me. <laughs> not ask you, but you, the, gen- the general you, um, it's like how often you go around and think of like symbols in your life, yeah. like a sacred symbol, yeah. an important symbol, like the cross is, for, for instance, like a like sacred symbol. Sure. Um, people wear it around their necks, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the Nike symbol, yeah, is like, well, is that sacred? Mm. It's like maybe it's sacred to capitalism or something like that. I can see someone saying that. But um, <laughs> anyways, this is, this is a good example of how we could go off in a completely different tangent about this this idea but it's valid it's valid it's valid but um uh this episode can only be so long so yeah um rituals kind of they're like they're related to myth and i think this is sort of maybe an abstract idea but mm-hmm. like mythology the the narrative framework the sort of archetypal framework is the way in which we actually experience reality mm-hmm. right yes. so when when we hear a a story when someone tells a myth they're actually tapping into a symbolic um a symbolic representation Mm -hmm. of what's real yes right it speaks to us 
we hear the myth and we say, that's real. Yes. Like that's actually more real than like my material world, of like mm. stuff and like, mm-hmm. you know, like objects and things I own. It's like the story is more real to me. Yeah. Um, and that's like the power of myth. It's how we actually interpret the world. Our lives are a story. Other people are characters in that story. We, we give them sort of uh, mythological archetypal attributes. Yeah. Um, someone in our life might play the, uh, the father. Someone might play the mother. Those are pretty obvious. But someone else in our life might be interpreted as like sort of this um, heroic warrior. Mm-hmm. And that means something to us. And yeah. uh, rituals in, in a way are sort of they're enacting or embodying what myth does verbally, mm. you might say, mm-hmm. or what it does visually, yeah. right? A myth could be just like a movie that you watch, but like you can, it's mostly also like a story that's told, whereas like a ritual is almost mm-hmm. you are embodying or enacting like the same psychological patterns in some way. Yeah. Okay. So I've been reading this great book on Greek mythology and Hestia, goddess of the hearth, goddess of the sacrificial flame, mm-hmm. has been someone who's like really caught my attention lately. And yeah. she's a goddess who people probably know by name, but she's really not kind of featured uh, very commonly in like mm-hmm. the big stories um, because she was more of like a practical goddess, yeah. someone who maybe doesn't make like the mythical history books as much, but mm-hmm. was worshipped and tended to in a way that's pretty unprecedented. Yeah. Because being goddess of the hearth, her myth required a lot of specific worship mm-hmm. that tied to a lot of practical dynamics of running a community and running a home. So as an example, you cultivated worship to Hestia in the city's mother hearth. Mm. In the center of the city, this hearth could not go out. Mm. If you're going to establish a new community, you took the, the, the coals from that mother hearth and brought it to the next one mm. and lit that fire. So there's this, this, this sense of the eternal flame that's anchor, anchoring us in community, right. in domesticity. Um, the torch. Yeah, well, there you go. The torch. <laughs> Check out our own series. Um, at the same time, in the home, um, we give thanks to her or sacrifice to her. Um, she's kind of like when we say grace, it's like it's to Hestia. Yeah. And and the hearth in the home is so important. It's right. the place of sustenance. It's this life-giving quality. It gives warmth and nourishment. Yeah. It's it there's so much also time and sacrifice and energy that goes into that ritual that mm-hmm. keeps her flame alive, which is literally like, especially if you think way before technology was at advance, to keep a fire going yeah. that you need to use all throughout the day is it's really, really important. You yeah. know this if you like go camping or something like that. It's like right. lighting a fire, uh, especially if you don't have, you know, like matches or um, a ferro rod or something like that. It's not easy. So there's no. all of these particular- It's almost impossible. Yeah. Just, like, I've, I've tried it. Like I can't even do it. Yeah. I've, I've been camping and backpacking a lot. So you have to tend to this hearth, right? right. And right. We're, tending, we're tending to it for mythic reasons. We're tending to it archetypally because it's keeping us alive. Yep. Like it's it's serving all of these very important purposes. Mm-hmm. It's strengthening culture. It's drawing us together. It's fulfilling this kind of spiritual need. We're getting in touch with this religious quality and it's also helping us live properly. And right. that all those rituals to Hestia were so important to life of the Greeks. So this is very interesting as an example and um, the idea of the fire is something that needs to keep burning. So there's kind of this, this 
um, really powerful symbol, right? And mm-hmm. essentially of a torch, like that you're passing to, um, if someone takes the fire and they carry it to start a new village, is that mm-hmm. how you were describing yeah. it? Yeah. It's like they're taking the energy of the community mm-hmm. and they're bringing it with them into the new community. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that symbolically by carrying this fire. And right. that's, that's a ritual, right? You know, it's a ritual. Yeah. And it's like, you don't have to do that and just make a new fire. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, wait, no, this symbolism is very important. Yes. yes. And, um, that's the interesting question is like, why is it important? Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's, it's enacting a metaphor. It's enacting yes. a story. It's an mm. embodied story. And, the power of this, and you can understand why things like this would evolve, is that the power that has for a community of people is like this reminds you of what's important, yeah. what's real. It reminds you of an important relationship between mm-hmm. you and other people. Mm-hmm. Um, the fire burning, you watch the fire at the center of the town and you say that's symbolic of our energy as a collection of people. Right. And it's, it's easier for me to remember that and to reinforce it and consider it important if there's a symbol mm. that I can rally around mm-hmm. with my psychology, essentially. Yeah. Um, and you would find, I think, that if villages did this, there would be more unity in the village. There right. would be a shared metaphor. It's almost like a, a meme. It's like a cultural meme that mm. people can rally around. Mm-hmm. And this is happening today. This happens on the internet. People rally around memes. People rally around symbols. Um, but you're tapping into the narrative way that we relate to the world yes and it helps you join the sort of communal contract Mm. for keeping the fire burning yes and then passing it on to a village that's going to branch out from this one and keeping that fire burning and we stay together because our fire keeps burning together and it's all the same fire um and so this is kind of an extreme example right because like you know no one no one alive probably has any uh experience of something like this um, some, some people do, but probably no one listening. Um, but you can relate back this idea of the way a symbol rallies something within you mm. or brings something into consciousness mm-hmm. that reminds you of something important. You yeah. can see that even in something like the morning ritual, yeah. for instance, where the fact that you have a certain routine set up, um, it keeps you accountable to a certain way of being. And there might be even some symbolic um, things happening in your morning ritual. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a very good morning ritual, so it's it's hard for me to give good examples of that. But well, I can do it. Okay, you know when I'm really committed, because I'll I I don't want anyone to think that it's like oh I've got this going all the time. But like my solid morning mm. r- routine and ritual that like when I'm practicing it I feel really grounded is um get up try not to be on my phone right away or limit it because that's a huge problem okay so I'm being mindful basically from the get-go yeah get up put hot water on for tea I -hmm. I really really enjoy that ritual I don't know why put on the kettle turn Mm -hmm. that on get my tea sit down meditate for about 10 minutes Mm -hmm. maybe pull a tarot card or two and check in with myself yeah. and do some writing, you know, what cups, what, what came up in the cards, write about that. Or mm-hmm. what am I feeling? Or what did I dream about? Yeah. And there's something particularly grounding and anchoring. And uh, it, it sort of helps me be in touch with what's going on with me and mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah. At the same time, it helps me step outside of myself. And that kind of combo I find to be particularly 
powerful. It's right. it's grounding, but it's expansive is what it feels like to me. So this is something that you would do regularly. Yes. A morning ritual, maybe something you do daily. Yes. Let's just pretend that it was actually does it every day. Yeah. Um, what's happening with that is that she's engaging in all these uh, these acts, these demonstrations. They're not just purely performative, but in some sense they are kind of performative because um, she's reminding herself of uh, what she needs to do in the day, mm-hmm. maybe how she needs to prepare for the day, um, checking in with yourself, doing tarot, for instance, other people might, you know, meditate, other people might write in their journal. Mm-hmm. Um, they might write down their dreams, all these things. Um, these are not convenient things to do necessarily. They're not purely for pleasure. They're mm-hmm. not purely to make you feel comfy, mm-hmm. though it has an effect in, in some ways. But the, the idea is that these, um, these routines, these acts, these um, embodied um, things that you do when you wake up, they actually set you up to do what you need to do for the day. Mm. And it's an attempt to combat the natural forces of entropy <laughs> that would that would make you be too lazy to do that yeah. or not get up yeah. on time or not check in with yourself, um, not put on tea, uh, maybe not even eat, eat breakfast. Right. And all these things, these naturally... We creep in the direction of what's convenient naturally. Mm. And the ritual, the morning ritual was meant to stop you from creeping towards what's convenient, stop right. the dissolution of your life okay. and bring you back into a place of uh, the path, let's say. Yeah, I like I like this because it does feel like I'm keeping myself accountable. Yeah. It feels like I'm doing something I enjoy and that's fulfilling. But at the same time, if I'm being totally honest, like I'd rather just like keep laying in bed Mm -hmm. and like just hang out on my phone and just like, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) there's so many mornings that I want to do that yet uh, doing the other thing, which is like, yeah, journaling's nice. Meditating's nice. Doing yoga is nice, but Mm -hmm. you know what? Like, it, the the law of entropy wants me to just like melt into my bed, right. you know, and just to not do it. And when I am consistent and I am doing it daily, I, I do feel better. Right. So another example might oh. be like the family getting together to eat mm-hmm. dinner. Like the family sits down and has dinner together every night, no phones. Yeah. We talk about how our day went. I don't have a family, but just, just an example. Um, <laughs> and... Again, this is something that's not necessarily convenient, right? Mm. What might be more convenient is for everyone to just like get fast food and mm. get on their phone and just go up to their room and hang out and yeah. just do do whatever feels like uh, most uh, most convenient, essentially. And the ritual of getting of getting together and sitting down as a family, the point of that is to combat that creep towards convenience mm. and to mm. remind people family's important. Yeah. Let's get together and eat together and we'll cook actually. Yeah. And we'll have a conversation. And I know it might be easier just to skip all that, but like this is an important thing for us to do because mm. it reminds us, it keeps us on track, it keeps us on the path. The path being maybe the good way to live or the right way to live. That's, you know, uh, you could. De- have a debate about what that actually is exactly what's right and what's wrong. But the ritual was taking aim at Mm. at reestablishing what's right for you at the expense of what is convenient. I think you and I have wrestled with this a lot because when it comes back into our awareness that our life seems sort of uh, 
empty of Mm -hmm. ritual. I think we both feel (laughs) upset about it. And then we go, okay, we need to do something. Like we need to change this. Mm -hmm. And especially for me, I come from um, a pretty like tight knit New York Italian culture that was full of ritual growing up. Religious rituals, cultural right. rituals. Right, so like Catholic and Italian yeah. rituals. Yeah. They were kind of like intertwined maybe, yes. but, but maybe some rituals were mostly Catholic and other rituals were mostly Yeah, you, you'd have like, oh, midnight mass. Like, yes, mm-hmm. all the Catholics are going to go to midnight mass. Yeah. It's, it's something that I've started doing again, even though I don't really practice Catholicism nor consider myself to be very Catholic anymore, mm-hmm. but at the same time wanting to return to that ritual. It's like, yeah. why did my grandma find this important? Why, why did my family do this? Mm-hmm. Like there are these r- religious rituals that I'm trying to come back into relationship with. First communion is another example, yeah. but there's cultural rituals as well. Mm-hmm. Sunday dinner is very stereotypical, but it's stereotype because it's true. Italians yeah. are going to like want to gather for the family dinner yeah. and cook like, you know, like, you know, Arian, every Sunday, I really, I really want to cook Italian food. It's Italian food every Sunday. It's important to me. It's important to me, know? too. It's all good. So. <laughs> I'm cool with the ritual. Um, but, you know, there was lots of other things that my family would do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my life story is I moved away from New York as a young kid. And then I kind of grew up sort of losing a lot of those rituals. Yeah. And it's very difficult for me. It's something that sits in a place of discomfort and detachment. It, it doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me feel that sense of, of of deeper, higher meaning. And so when it comes up, I want to cultivate it. Mm-hmm. So we've we've talked about it and it's like, we need to do something about this. Right, right. And it's these these rituals you're talking about, they don't happen on accident, right? No. Which is why they melt away. Right. If you don't yes. keep them up. Yeah, you have to upkeep them. Right. And that's that's what rituals kind of are. It's like there's something that you need to keep doing even though it'd be easier not to do them. Yes. Because they remind you of something. They demonstrate something. They might be a, they might symbolically uh uh, put forward a concept that's important for you to remember, mm-hmm. or they might just put forward an, an emotion that's sure. important for you to feel regularly. Yeah, sure. And maybe that is emotion is love. Or yeah. maybe that emotion is family. Mm. Um, yeah. All kinds of things like that. But the, but the, the question, w- you know, would be why are these rituals so important to you? Mm. And why, why them melting away? Let's say, why does that disturb you? What purpose did they serve? Oh man. Um, well, I think first and foremost, it's there's a feeling of I like I close my eyes and the image that is coming to mind is like some sort of thread that mm. connects me through time and space to all of these other people like in my lineage. Right. And back back to, to Sicily. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You, were, mm-hmm. you know, even further than that, it's yeah. kind of like where where do these things come from religiously? Where do they come from culturally? I have a very strong relationship and a lot of uh, like connection and love and pride in those things and mm-hmm. the, the feeling of uh, that those things are falling away, yeah. uh, that there's a dissolution of that is mm-hmm. alarming to me. Because it makes me feel uh, present where I am, yet connected to, you know, the ancestors of the past. Right. And it makes it feel like there's uh, there's a, a continuity between people. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to lose that continuity. I don't think we should lose that continuity at all. It needs to be cultivated. It's sacred, you might say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the feeling that that might not be passed on is, I don't know, it's so instinctive to me. Like the, that sense of alarm is very instinctual. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, it's interesting because a lot of, we've been saying this already in this, in this episode, but a lot of the rituals that people had in the past, um, have melted away. Mm. And a lot of the, the notions of ritual in our lives, they're not very present. And, um, we don't really engage in symbolic act very often. Mm. Uh, a lot of us are not religious anymore. A lot of us don't see any point in doing something like going to church, for instance. Uh, might not even see any point in doing something like celebrating Christmas, honestly. Like, um, and what's happening here, mm. I guess, is the question. So, yeah. like, again, there's just sort of this entropy that's like melting away that yeah. which you do not upkeep. Yes. So if you don't if you don't hold on to these rituals, they will disappear. You right. have to do them routinely. You need to teach them to your children so they keep doing them, for instance. Yeah. And that's how a lot of rituals evolved is they were actually passed down from generation to generation. Maybe they, they would evolve a little bit each time, mutate and become mm. uh, optimal in some way, more optimal, like the ritual might accomplish what it's trying to accomplish better. Yeah. And what a ritual is trying to accomplish is kind of a big question and it has to do with all kinds of... Uh, things about the past that we're probably not going to get into, but, um, you know, why do rituals, uh, become hollow for people? Why are they trivial? Right. Why are they meaningless? I mean, I've experienced this personally is that I've found it very difficult for me to reason to myself that celebrating the holidays is a good thing to do Mm -hmm. because it just doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me. Christmas doesn't mean anything. And that's like a weird thing to say, but it's true. Yeah. The ritual doesn't make sense to me. Mm. It never made sense as a child. I kind of get it more so in the last 10 years. I'm like, well, okay, like family is important, but like what's up with the gifts and stuff? And <laughs> what's up with Santa Claus? Like, I just, the music, it's like I understand Christmas music, but ultimately the Christmas celebration as I have experienced it in my life and with other people I've met, a lot of my friends, it doesn't really mean much. Mm-hmm. And there's been this drive to want to revitalize the Christmas ritual to make it something that feels meaningful right. and that reminds me of something that's yeah. important. Well, it's interesting because the place where it should be meaningful, the place where it should be cultivated and that sort of sense of connection re- reinstated, mm-hmm. which is in the home basically with your closest yeah. family, I think not for all, but for some feels hollow in nature. Mm. And maybe that's because I have to go to like my aunt and uncles and it's like, I don't talk to them for the whole year. And then, and, and not because, you know, Oh, we live really far away. It's just cause like we're losing touch with each other. We're becoming atomized as you've said. Mm -hmm. And, and there's like a fabricated feeling of let's all come together and pretend that we're close or pretend that we like really know what's going on in each other's lives. I don't like that feeling. Right. I would prefer instead like that they were coming over every Sunday and we're having dinner together and we're checking in and I know you. And that's why I think sometimes maybe more for us young types, I don't know, Mm -hmm. but like our friends and the gatherings we do with friends seem to almost carry more meaning than that with, than with our extended family because like we're really actually plugged in with each other. I'd rather go spend the holidays with my, with my group of friends rather than like my aunt and uncle and my weird cousin and this and that, because it's feeling disconnected and it's hard to uh, embody the ritual, embody the myth when it's the meaning feels totally stripped out of the whole process. Right. that's what's tough. And there's, you know, there's a dynamic here that's complicated, and um, Alyssa and I have already kind of talked about this a little bit, and 
you know, it'd be, it'd be fun for us to get into it maybe and kind of argue about it. But, <laughs> um, you know, not every ritual is meant to feel good. Mm. And that's part of the part of the thing here. It's like not every ritual is, is aimed at being meaningful. Sure. And this is part of the confusion with like a lot of spiritual practices is that like people seem to assume that like what spirituality is is what makes you feel good mm. or if what, what, what feels meaningful to you. That's spirituality. It's seeking something that is stimulating. And often the, the rituals that we have engaged in, they don't feel stimulating. And so we say, well, they're pointless then. Mm. And it's like, well, are they? Because it's important to understand that like rituals are not convenient. They're not sure. meant to be fun. They're not meant to make you feel good even. They're meant to accomplish something that's very important mm. for your tribe, or your people or your family or something like that. That's why they evolved in the first place, I would say. And so that's something to acknowledge is that the, the rituals might not be, um, the whole point of them is not to be like, wow, how much fun am I having with this ritual? It's like, no. Um, like a good example I would say is like the marriage ritual mm. is that there's sort of an assumption and this has to do with the kind of individualistic and sort of narcissistic aspects of our culture, which is complicated, but like marriage it seems like sometimes we interpret marriage as being for us. I get married because it feels good mm. or because I want to have a partner and that's why I'm married for me. And yeah. the truth is that like the marriage in the past at least did not evolve to serve you specifically. It wasn't meant to feel good. It was to serve the family. You get married for your children. You mm. get married for your tribe. It's a contract that you're engaging in mm. that helps you succeed, helps the tribe succeed, helps mm. the family succeed. And so um, when you get married and when you are married, you know, maybe it's not like I'm having a blast like all the time. It's like, no, you're not. And you shouldn't be necessarily. You should be focused on the path. And the path is to raise a good family, make sure they succeed. That's what marriage is for. Mm. It's not for you. It's mm. for something bigger than you. Yeah. And that's what a lot of rituals are like. But it's tough because there's rituals nowadays, I feel like, that they don't even accomplish that to mm. begin with. It's like, I mean, marriage, for instance, like it does somewhat accomplish keeping people together, mm -hmm. having a contract. And that's sort of why the ritual is that the entire community or the entire village like signs off on it with mm -hmm. the wedding celebration. Sure. We sign off on your marriage and we're watching you. Mm -hmm. So like stay together basically. Mm -hmm. um, but people get divorced like crazy. So it's almost like, does the marriage ritual even do it, what it was meant to do in the first place? Is it a good ritual right. or should we get rid of it? Because it doesn't actually even do what it was meant to do in the first place. Same with like funerals. Like funerals are weird. <laughs> what is the point of a funeral? It's like, well, do we even know what the point is? Right. It's like to honor someone who died. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. But like, why is it that this funeral felt totally meaningless yes. and didn't feel like it was honoring this person at all? Right. And that's, that's the tough question here. Is, yeah, I think um, that's what I struggle with. There's yeah. like this feeling of like uh, this cookie cutter way that it's like, here's like the, and I'm, I'm not even trying to say like, it's like uh, death has been commodified and it's an yeah. industry. I mean, we're, we're trying to be delicate yeah. here because a, a lot of rituals are incredibly important to people and they will die for their rituals. And, yeah. you know, so we want to be delicate here. Yeah. We don't want to yeah. bad mouth rituals in general, but. Oh no, but, but yeah. I, I mean, just like you bringing up like the funeral is really yeah. tough for me because yeah. like, I really don't like funerals and not yeah. as like a death is really tough, even though it is. Right. It's not just you being like, this is uncomfortable and that's right. why I don't like it. 
it's almost like this doesn't seem to honor this person. Right. Even though there can be moments of beauty and Mm -hmm. openness and honest words that are said, and it does give people a platform to do that. It's like, I don't, I, I, there's something feels wrong about it (laughs) where it's like, you know, uh, we're presented in a certain way, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's not, okay. I don't even want to say like a a new tradition that has been created is what's weird. Like you're always in this kind of church and the the body's dressed this way and everyone is going through the exact same actions. That's sometimes what ritual actually is. It's like Mm -hmm. a set of symbolic, um, actions or embodiments that have been passed on. So, that's okay, but then there's something within that that feels hollow. And I feel like this is where I, I'm going to probably find it very hard to really uh, put into words what mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. But that something within the ritual, in this case of marriage or of a funeral of death, feels like it's it's like a, a shadow of what it should be. Yeah. I don't know why, even mm-hmm. though it's like, sure, you don't have to wear the garter and like toss it, you know, have, yeah. have your husband take it off. And it's like, you don't have to, you don't have to do that dumb ritual if you don't want to. Right. But there's this feeling of people just kind of like, you know, taking off the shelf, like this is what the the marriage ceremony looks like. This is right. what the funeral is like. Right. And there's something uncomfortable, like in my, in my spirit that's like, I do not like this. Right. And I don't know what's going on. Maybe it just doesn't feel meaningful to me, and that's why. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it's it's complicated because what you're saying is true. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, oh, we're gonna get married and have a wedding. What do we do at the wedding? It's like, well, what do they do in movies? Right, like these five um, things. Okay, so I guess we'll have a cake for some reason. I'm not sure why, but that's what they do, right? And uh, right, maybe that's part of it. It's like the cake is a good idea, right? But why, you know? Yeah, or the walk yeah. down the aisle is good, but why? Yeah. We're, okay, now my father is going to walk me down the aisle for some reason. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do I understand why? Right, and it's like right. I, think, I think the father walking down the aisle makes total sense because he is giving him away mm-hmm. um, uh, or giving her away to the, to the, the groom. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But it's like, do you actually feel that? Right, are you is connected it actually to it? symbolically demonstrating right. that, that concept to you and right. to the village who is there to watch? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, people wearing black at a funeral. Right. It's like, why do we wear black? It's like, cause that's what you do. Right. And it's like, well, okay. So does it, does it actually accomplish honoring the dead by everyone dressing similarly to observe that they, uh, take this seriously, mm. that the death is important, yeah. uh, that they're sincere about it. Does it accomplish that? Mm. Yes. Question right. mark. Yeah. Um, would having a funeral that everyone wears, whatever they want and it's a big celebration and it's like this crazy party where everyone has a really good time celebrating the life of this amazing person would that be dishonorable Mm. and that's a big question it's like i don't know i don't think so yeah i wish funerals were more celebrations i don't like the feeling of just like death is the worst thing that can happen it's like no death happens to everyone right so why why are we gathering in such like this like you know dark like sad way instead of celebrating and you know it depends on the death and it depends on the circumstances of course but still we're kind of getting to this question of like do the rituals that used to accomplish something important still accomplish that important thing right. or have they actually lost their purpose right or, it's not just have they lost their meaning sure. if they've lost their meaning it's like well does that even matter should they actually be meaningful or mm. fun or feel good um it's like that's maybe not but should they actually accomplish 
what they evolved to accomplish in the first place, which was like maybe social cohesion, reinforcing a symbol or concept that you need to remember, mm-hmm. um, revitalizing this structure that's so important to keeping your family intact, right. uh, walking the path and making sure you don't fall off the path and that yeah. you get back on. All the rituals that um, evolved to do this are very important, right. but do they still do that? Mm. And that's what's tough. Yeah, it's like as culture, society, and individuals have evolved over time, rituals have kind of come with us, Mm -hmm. but there's been like a slow deterioration in the meaning of those rituals or, you know, as you were saying, why they evolved for um, whatever purpose. Mm -hmm. And the rituals themselves need to have their own sort of process of evolution with us. And I think that's maybe part of like the problem or they've kind of been taken from what they were and kind of stuffed into like this particular, you know, one, two, three, you know, steps. And, and that in and of itself for some individuals feels, uh, just, uh, disingenuous. Yeah. And it makes us like totally disengage. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if we have time for this, but I think like a quick example was, you know, you've been talking about Christmas yeah. and was it last year that you sort of started getting more into like, what is Christmas even and kind of, Oh, it was, it was an experiment that <laughs> I, uh, in, in an attempt to make the Christmas ritual, uh, accomplish what I think it's actually meant to accomplish. Yes. Um, I wanted to have a conversation about what Christmas is, where mm-hmm. it came from, uh, why it evolved in the first place yeah. as this, uh, mostly what I find so interesting is like this idea of like the celebration of light returning to the world. Right. We're getting into like, like the, the festival yeah, of lights. Yeah. And it's like, what does that mean? The festival of light and getting into that actually make Christmas feel really powerful mm-hmm. and meaningful to me of like, mm-hmm. you're right. Christmas is sort of around the darkest day of the year. Yeah. And it's now the sun is going to return and sort of like the seasonal observance is like actually really powerful. Yeah. And I like thinking about the whole notion of Christ as like the light brainer, and how does that concept sort of universal of like this um, this truth speaker bringing light to the world that has become covered in darkness mm. and bringing it out of that darkness? It's like, oh, that's like really interesting and meaningful to me. But it fell flat <laughs> at this Christmas celebration. Yeah. And people were just sort of like clearly like, what are you, <laughs> like, what are we doing? Like, what Why aren't we singing Christmas like, carols? Can't, yeah, can't we get back to like Jingle Bell Rock and like hey, I love Jingle wearing Bell Rock. those stupid like paper crowns and like, uh, you know, getting drunk. It's like, right. that's what Christmas is about. And it's like, you know, honestly, that's not what Christmas is about for me and it never will be. Right. Like, I just like yeah, it was never an, say never. Yeah, but. it was an interesting experiment. And I think even just your own studies into like the connection to winter solstice and yeah. these older this sort of like calendrical ritual right. of time that's right. hap- happening, you yeah. know, and how important that is for us to ritualize the turning of the seasons. Yeah. Something I have a lot of interest in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we connect that to these more modern manifestations? Yeah. And how do we talk about it to, yeah. as we said, revitalize meaning into the ritual? Mm-hmm. And for some, they just, you know, that they don't want to go there. That's not interesting to them. They right. want, They want to stick with that more. Right. So to, to me, like what would, what would a, uh, and this, this is tough because you, you got to be careful here. You don't want to just throw out stuff that you don't like. You should be yes. really careful not to do that. Don't throw out traditions just because you think they're kind of like stupid. Be, do some research. But to me, if I was going to revitalize the Christmas ritual for myself, what I would like to do is have it be a night that's very quiet mm. and dark mm. and all the lights are off and there's just like one light mm. in the center of 
the room, wherever yeah. you are, maybe the backyard, whatever. But the, there's sort of like a circle around this one light mm. and you're sitting and you're being contemplative about the light in the world. Yeah. And it's uh, the fact that it's maybe disappearing. It's metaphorical. I mean, even in 2020, we sort of feel as like light has receded from the world in many mm. ways. And, um, you know, maybe people feel as if it's reemerging now and sort of like the darkness is over and it's time for the light to return to the world. But to med- to uh, meditate on that mm. is really powerful to remind yourself of how like how lucky you are to to have this safe order that you can live in mm. um, that the light will come back and to think about this new year that's going to happen and how will you, um, you know, have the light return into your life mm. and embody it and carry it like a torch. Um, so, you know, that, that is a question for people at home. Yeah. Listening to this, you can try this at home. Is what I wrote <laughs> in the notes. Um, but you know, what we're talking about is rituals are something that are really powerful. They're very important. A life without rituals is not a good life, I would say. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have rituals in your life, you're missing out. Mm-hmm. For all kinds of reasons, and you're yeah. not missing. You're not just missing out on like having fun. I, that's not really what I mean. It's like you're missing out on something in your life that would improve it, that mm-hmm. would make it more meaningful, yeah. that would give you something to rally behind with people that you love. And so, something that I think would be interesting to talk about is what can you do yeah. if you don't have any rituals in your life? Yeah, what would be some steps to making your own rituals or joining in on rituals that already exist? Sure. You know? Yes. I think you can start on a on a personal level and think about where in your life do you want to invite that in. I think the monthly ritual is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people tend to like sync that up with uh, like phases of the moon. So like on the full, on the full moon, mm-hmm. I will sit and do some contemplative work. Yeah. I will meditate. I will cook a nice meal and sit in silence and eat this or, or something like that. You mm-hmm. know, I am I, a particular fan of that sort of seasonal. Um, way of connecting it helps just give even more of a symbolic dynamic to the ritual that you're doing so on the new moon on the full moon or once a month on the fifth whatever it might be every last friday what do you want to do just give yourself one day a month to create something and maybe you you look back into the culture of your family yeah or your society, something that still feels kind of interesting, that still catches your interest, but imbue it with some more of that dynamic symbolic meaning like you're wanting to do with Christmas. It's like we don't throw out the tradition completely, but we're going to revitalize it. So starting in that way, making it uh, approachable, not overdoing it, you know, Mm -hmm. once a month, every two months or something like that is a really nice way to get things started. Yeah, I mean, play around with... um you know, again, like once a month is a good place to start, but by mm-hmm. play around um, with uh, certain things that you might do, you might meditate, you might pray, you might yeah. journal, um, you might light candles, mm-hmm. uh, you might have a fire. These things tap into yeah. a more primordial way of being that's powerful. Um, there's objects, symbolic mm-hmm. objects mm-hmm. that it's easy to be like, well, it's just a, it's just a rock. Yeah. But it's like, well, what if the rock sort of represented, um, you know, a mountain that you're trying to climb. And mm. when you look at the rock, you remember the mountain that you're climbing and you remember that it's tough and you're suffering, but you got to keep going. And this reminder runs once a month could be something that actually grounds you. It centers yeah. you. It brings you back to a place of like, 
I remember what my life is about and I remember what I should be doing and all these things that I've accumulated in the last month that don't belong in my life, all this baggage, all this stuff I'm engaging in that I don't need. I downloaded this app and I'm just like playing this game on this app now and I don't know why I'm doing it. It's like you have a once once month time maybe to go for a cleanse and be mm-hmm. like, I should get rid of some of the stuff that I don't need anymore. Yeah, and That's a ritual and these things are all just trying to reinforce um, a kind of behavior, a concept, an emotion, trying to remind you of what's important and you can play around with that and just set up a physical material structure that embodies those ideas and those feelings and that might, and that's, I mean, and that's the ritual, right? The ritual is material, it's physical, it's embodied. There's objects, symbolic objects in a lot of rituals Mm -hmm. Uh, there's things you wear. Yeah. There's a way of sitting or walking. Mm-hmm. There's music. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a chant. Yeah. Um, a drink, a special ritual drink. A special ritual drink. Um, maybe there's a certain way that you engage in this with other people and mm-hmm. you all wear ceremonial robes. It starts to sound really culty and so <laughs> but but you, you get the point is that um, these rituals can actually reinvigorate your life mm-hmm. and, and, bring you to a better place of being and search, search the past, search your lineage. That's a great place to start. It's like, why not get in touch with like what, uh, pagan Scottish rituals were. Mm -hmm. It's a good place to start. Are you Scottish? I'm Scottish. (laughs) Um, maybe I can revitalize some of those rituals and bring them back into my life and not feel like all weird because I'm like appropriating something that doesn't belong to me Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. But it's something to play with, something to think about, and I think that we all stand to um, learn something, grow, um, remind ourselves of what's really important if we engage in ritual. And now it's time for a dream from a member of our audience. This is from a 29-year-old female. And here's the dream. I was walking outside on a steep, sloped street with my family past a field of green grass where people were plucking the leaves off of magnolia flowers and making lawn chains or necklaces with them. We descended into a rounded, brightly lit, whitewashed tunnel wide enough for a car to drive through. I didn't like feeling we were enclosed and going deep under the city, but I imagined when we were done, we could call a cab to pick us up. The tunnel opened up to a busy ferry landing with blue skies and lots of people. I realized I had forgotten my suitcase in the tunnel and ran back up to find it. Hmm. Well... I think this dreamer has mentioned in their uh, form where they submitted it Mm -hmm. that this act of forgetting the suitcase, which I think is very interesting because that's the lysis of the dream. That's where it ends. That's where the conclusion is. You know, she didn't get to the ferry. She didn't go any further. She's got to turn around and go back into the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is important. One of her family members, her cousin, um, who has been sick and recovering from, um, from cancer, also had a moment in the dream where they were in the tunnel and also lost track of their bag and had to go back in to go Mm. grab it. 
And so she doesn't mention that in this part, but there's a very interesting parallel happening with that that end point there, which mm. is this, you know, my suitcase, which is my my tools, my the things that I need to go about my day, um, the things you've packed with you, you yeah. know, maybe like your uh, your conscious tools, the things that you that you know you have on you has been left behind. Mm. And both the dreamer and the cousin who can represent some sort of dynamic we, we'll get into, but has has been left in the underground, deep sort of unconscious space that might be represented by the, the tunnel itself. Mm. Yeah. I just want to acknowledge that the water is still going. I, <laughs> I, I think it's pretty audible. We'll see after we're done recording. But uh, yeah, somehow it's been going for over an hour now. And into the dream sequence. Um, yes, into the dream. This dream is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the family aspect yeah. is interesting. Family mm-hmm. is always a very powerful symbol. Your parents are incredibly powerful yeah. uh, symbols in your life. And so when they appear in the dream, mm-hmm. there's, well, it can mean a lot of things. Sure. But still, childhood comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a feeling of security. Maybe sure. a feeling of being in that kind of like warm, safe place where your parents are around you. Mm. If you know, if she had a good relationship with her parents, obviously in someone else's dream, maybe the parents being present isn't as warm and comfortable. Um, but being someplace that she's 29. Mm-hmm. So this sort of, this dream almost makes it sound like she's, she's returned back to a younger time mm. and is um, traveling. So there's feelings of transition. There's yes. feelings maybe of uh, the ground moving beneath you and forcing you to make chain changes, but um, there doesn't feel to be a huge urgency in the dream or mm-hmm. stress, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but this traveling to a new place, leaving behind maybe the innocence or safety of the past, mm-hmm. uh, traveling through the tunnel especially, like that seems like a pretty obvious symbol yeah. of just like going through uh, the womb and being pushed out again to be reborn mm. um, and becoming a new person who you're yeah. meant to be growing up, ascending into yeah. uh, a way of life that you've been waiting to ascend to maybe for a long time. Mm. The dreamer mentions that when she realizes she didn't have her bag, she starts to feel irritated and impatient with her family who wanted to discuss you know, who should go back in the tunnel with mm-hmm. her? How are they going to go get the bag? And yeah. she knew I have to go quickly because soon a bunch of people are going to be arriving at the ferry. They're going to come through the tunnel. It's all going to get clogged up. So yeah. the dream ego has a sense of how to rectify whatever kind of issue is going on right now. Maybe how to gain access back to the tools that feel like they're detached from that have been lost. Um, you know, I keep saying tools, but I don't know how else to describe what I feel about the suitcase other than like, Mm. you know, what do you pack on your person in your purse, in your camping bag? Like these are your, like it's, it's usually useful things that you need. And so I'm just thinking about that symbolically as you know, the, the parts of her in regards to whatever situation, this is a commentary around that need to be taken with her, gained and access for her to mm. move forward through this transition yeah. and not really knowing fully what this dreamer is going through or what transition she's in. There feels like there needs to be a reclaiming of some aspect of those tools 
those uh, things that are in her suitcase that she needs to bring with her. Mm. And in addition to that, there's like a sort of counterpart to the cousin who is there as well, who also kind of left that thing behind. So is that a commentary on the cousin? Is it a subjective commentary for herself? Maybe like an inner masculine, sort of feminine masculine that might be going on. Mm. Um, maybe she sees the cousin as some sort of shadow figure that is embodying some sort of qualities. You know, either way, there has to be a return, uh, maybe a diving kind of deep back into this place, the inner tunnel to yeah. retrieve something that's been left behind and mm. taken with her to the ferry, to this next transitional point. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like we've actually had a few dreams already on mm -hmm. the podcast that are kind of like this because mm -hmm. this is bringing up some deja vu. It's like, okay. didn't I already talk about like someone going through the womb <laughs> in a different dream? Um, um, you might have. I don't but, recall. But, you know, we're getting, we're getting a lot of dreams from um, young women who are probably in, you know, transitional, difficult mm -hmm. times. Uh, and these dreams reflect that. So yeah. running back into the, into the tunnel to get the suitcase, yeah. there is... Um, because, again, I feel like that I have talked about this in a different dream, but, like, there's sort of uh, playing with the transition, hesitation perhaps, mm. um, realizing you're not ready and then trying to go back yeah. in some ways, um, arriving at where you're meant to be and suddenly being like, oh, my God, I'm not actually prepared to be here. Like, yeah, I have to go yeah, back. Right. Um, and dreams are often like this where, we're like, we are traveling somewhere and we arrive at where we're meant to be and we don't have clothes on. Mm. Where it's like, I'm not prepared for this, right. actually, somehow. Yeah. Um, and it's like the unconscious is constantly anticipating uh, how you are not going to succeed in something or how you're not going to be prepared. Or, yeah, or, or pointing out some of the, the flaws in your current conscious attitude. Sure. Where it's like, mm, like you're not realizing where you're lacking right yeah. here. And yeah. I think that the like no clothes on kind of thing or weird clothes or mm -hmm. even things maybe like the suitcase can be kind of like a commentary on persona, which yeah. is like, how am I viewed? How uh, prepared do I seem to other people? Like, what is sure. she trying to move into? What? How are people going to view how she's stepping into this new light? And mm. are you feeling like you're not prepared when maybe you actually are? Because, yeah. like, you seem quite decisive in the dream. Where it's like, I know how to do this, actually. Like, I'm going to just go grab this. It's like, is there a feeling of a lack of confidence, mm -hmm. um, a lack of belief in what she's moving towards? Yeah. Um, the dream could certainly be a commentary urging her to have better conviction in what she's sensing and not listening to the kind of like inner figures that are all like squabbling basically about how to get the job done. Yeah. There's some specific things in this dream that I think are always interesting to point out. Uh, the flowers are specifically magnolia. Yes. So yeah. Like, okay. What does that mean? Right. Um, and making uh, necklaces with the flowers. So like daisy chains. Mm -hmm. Um is an interesting act. I mean, you can get into like, what do flowers represent? Archetypical, mm -hmm. like all people in some sense, or uh, there is something sort of like innocent about making daisy chains. It's yes. like something that schoolgirls, mm -hmm. I feel like, do. Um, Just but, like hippies, like yeah, or, or hippies. There, there's that too. But there's like a lightness is what I'm trying to get to, you know, innocence, right, youth, yeah. naivety, just kind of like we can sit here in the green grass and make daisy chains and just enjoy right. the sun. Right. And there's more of an urgency that's happening in the stream otherwise. So is mm. she exiting out of some period of youth, especially like away from the family, the inner parents that are in this dream yeah. towards uh, a, a more like you know, material independence, mm. um, 
in inner independence as well, mm. breaking away from like the, the mother and father, knowing that she can kind of stand on her own two feet, yeah. you know, because that first scene had the daisy chains mm. and the green grass, but she walks right by that. Yeah. There's also the, um, the tunnel is whitewashed mm. and mm-hmm. brightly lit. Yeah. Which I think is again, sort of an interesting detail because if the t- tunnel was just dark yeah. or narrow, yeah. And it's just, you know, black walls or something like that. There would be much more of a, of a feeling of like, I don't know about this. Where am I going? But the fact that it's whitewashed and brightly lit almost makes it seem like it's a tunnel that will be safe yeah. to travel through. Right. It. I, I think something that came to mind is like a feeling of like a tunnel as a portal. Mm. And especially with it being very brightly lit and whitewashed, there's like this feeling of entering into it and... The, that sense of like darkness and narrowness that could bring more of like a fear and anxiety are not there. That imagery isn't there. So this feels like a movement uh, of a, of a descent mm-hmm. into something that's immediately just pushing her out to where she needs to go. Mm-hmm. And that sense of that, that, uh, that portal that walking through the door seems highly interesting to me. Like, where is this transition taking you from? What is it pulling from you as you move deep underground and then emerge back into the light? Mm -hmm. Um, You're kind of going uh, deep into the the subterranean layer, right? Of the earth when you're in a tunnel. But there is a sense of some discomfort that she does, I think, mention in her notes to us, um, increasing Mm -hmm. uncomfortableness due to going into the tunnel, but that there was a feeling of this is actually one of many adventures that she's been on, some Mm. of which have taken her to skyscrapers or mountains. And right now it's under the tunnel. Mm. So it's not as like shadowy and scary and anxiety producing as it could be. It is a a kind of threshold, Mm. a threshold portal into some sort of development, something that's uh, continuing the hero's journey, you might say. Yeah. Well, I feel like the dreamer is clearly going through a transition, yeah. you know, I mean, we always kind of are, and it's like, well, I feel like, oh, like most of these dreams are kind of implying that there's like change happening and there's anxiety around the change, but it does seem like the dreamer, um, ultimately is comfortable, secure mm-hmm. and on the right track. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, my interpretation of the dream would be like confirmation of like, you don't know exactly know what's going to happen. It's not completely safe, but you're good. And, you know, explore what you're losing, what you're leaving behind, mm-hmm. maybe. And just maybe ritualize that a little bit. Mm. Like, uh, let it go. Yeah. Honor it. Um, and think about what you stand to gain from this transition. And don't doubt yourself. Do you have a question for us? Do you have a dream you'd like us to analyze? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover? We want to hear from you. Contact us through a submission form, which can be found at our Instagram page at Golden Shadow Podcast. Or if you're listening on YouTube, you can find the link in the description down below. Thanks for listening. See you later. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash golden shadow podcast. Thank you.